Hey, great to see you all. We've got an exciting time this morning. We're going to be talking about a new paradigm of work, a new paradigm of work. Before I do that, though, one final notice that I've been asked to give, just because Simon didn't want them to all be in part of his batch, so he's put one on my message. Unbelievable. But it's an exciting one anyway. Christianity Explored is a course that we've been running at the street for many, many years. Uh, I've been involved in running that, and I know a lot of you have at different times. We're going to start another one on March the 15th, and it's actually going to be at our house. So Nikki and I are going to run that with another guy, Prasan. And if you have got any questions, like maybe you're here this morning, you're not quite sure about this God thing or Christianity, who Jesus is, we'd love you to come along to our house, ask us all those tough questions that you're wondering who you can ask. I'm not saying I'll have the answers, but hey, look, we're going to get into the Bible together and see if, if uh, you know, I believe God can answer, uh, can answer your questions. So if that's you or if you've got friends, family you know about, sign them up, bring them along. We would love to have them, okay? So Connections Desk, after the service, sign up or jump online. You'll find the details. All right, cool. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, what an awesome God you are. We thank you that, Lord, you love us so much. And uh, Lord, that today we come to open up your Bible, to hear your voice. I pray that people would hear you today. That Lord, as we talk about this topic of a new paradigm for work, Lord, I really believe we need that in our world today. And I pray that we would hear your word individually for each of us, Lord. So Father, we just commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are getting to the very end of this amazing letter that we've been studying for the last few months, haven't we? And in these last couple of chapters, Sarah and Nick took us through two key relationships a few weeks ago. The first one was the marriage relationship, and the second one was the parent and child relationship. This morning, we're going to look at this employment relationship, okay? So, you know, these have been really practical messages. This letter gets real practical at this part of it. So let's read together. Ephesians 6 from verse 5 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Okay, look, before we can look at this from an employment point of view, there's a first word in this passage that we've got to address, right? Slaves. Because if we can't understand the context of that, we're gonna, our head is going to be spinning throughout this whole next half an hour, right? Last week, we had an amazing challenge to all of us when we talked about that mission of Destiny Rescue. And they are working to free young girls in particular from sexual slavery. That is not the slavery we're talking about here, okay? If you think about in the time that this was written to the people in Rome, Slavery was a part of society, a massive part of society. Historians reckon that potentially 30% of all the Roman Empire were slaves. Maybe up to 60 million people were slaves. It was the way that life was done. 
Now, it's not to say that all the slavery was okay. I'm sure there was a lot of harsh masters who treated their slaves very badly. But you also got to understand that the context is quite different to how we imagine it today. When I think about slaves, I automatically go to the, you know, the African-American slavery, or I go to what we talked about last week of sexual slavery, exploitation, all of that kind of stuff. But it was quite different here, quite different. You see, if you were a slave in the Roman Empire, it meant that you had a job. It meant that you had income. It meant that you were looked after by your master. And the interesting thing is this, is that the slaves really did do all of the work. I mean, they were the lawyers, which, you know, kind of goes without saying, really. They were, they were the teachers. They were the doctors. They were the people that taught the doctors. They did everything in society. It wasn't just the person right at the bottom of slavery. It was all of those who were doing work. And so they were absolutely pivotal to how this whole society worked. And if you were to say to the slaves in that time, hey, slaves, let's unite and rise up against the empire, they would have looked at you like you were strange. They would have said, you mean you want us to cut off our income? You want us to cut off the security of our family? That was a foreign concept to them, which is why many of them actually ended up selling themselves into slavery as well, because they realized that when they sold themselves into their master's household, they gathered that same status of their master. They were attached to that family. So it was a very different concept for us, very different concept. So when you read that word right at the beginning, slaves, you might think, you know, why wasn't Paul right at the beginning of the church saying, let's abolish slavery? Well, if he had brought that message into the Roman Empire, Christianity would have been snuffed out overnight. So instead, what does he say? He says, listen, let's change the whole relationship of master and slave. Whether you're a slave or a master, if you have become a follower of Jesus Christ, live so radically different to anyone else in those relationships in your culture that you start to change the culture from the inside out. And isn't it awesome that that's our role as Christians too, isn't it? We are told to be salt and light in the world. The Bible says that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation, that he is reconciling to the world to himself in Christ, and we get to be co-workers in that. Awesome thought, eh? So whatever you do in your life, whether you're working at home, whether you're a student, whether you're working in business, teaching, whatever it is, you can be a co-worker with Christ. You can be being a minister of reconciliation. You can be seeing the fabric of society change from the inside out. So with that context of slavery, can we now just apply this directly to the employment relationship, okay, these verses, just so we can really understand it in our context. And there's two things I want us to to focus on today. The first is this. All work can be God's work. And the second thing is the attitude with which you work matters. All work can be God's work, and the attitude with which you work matters. Let's look at that first one. Verse 6, have a look at it again. Obey them not only to win their favor, Paul says, when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. I reckon what Paul is saying is this. He's saying that all work, even if you're a slave at that time, can be God's work. It doesn't matter what it is. All work can be his will. It can be doing the work of God. Now, that went completely against the Roman thought. 
you had like three classes of society, okay? You had the elite, you had the middle class who thought that all work was below them, and then you had the slaves who did all the work, right? And so if you can imagine that two-thirds of the population basically weren't doing anything in that sense of work, they would become lazy. The very notion of them working to them was just seen as far too low down for them. And, And manual labor, not a chance. And so they had this really skewed up understanding of work. I was uh, at a church a few years ago. A friend of mine, Mason, went along to speak at his church. And he was emceeing that night. And this church is a fantastic church. And they've got a lot of artists and, and quite, you know, uh, arty kind of people and whatever type of arts it might be. And he is a sheet metal worker, okay? He is a man of the, you know, getting his hands dirty. He's also quite arty but he tends to do it with sheet metal. That's another whole story. But anyway, this night he's up there emceeing, and he says, look, I've got a few notices to give. And he said, the first one was this. This really, you're talking about notices. This one caught our attention. He said, this week the toilet got blocked in the, in the church, guys. And everyone's like, ooh, that's a bit nasty. And he said, you know, as a church, we have people that can write a song about the toilet being blocked. We've got people who can write poems about the toilet being blocked. And he said, there's a lot of us who could paint the blocked toilet. But he said, all we need is someone to unblock the loo, right? And it's funny, you know, in Romans times, it's like they had completely skewed up their understanding. In their mind, it was like, oh, I'm just this high thinker, you know, the intellectual type of person. I'm the person that's really important. But actually, it was the 60 million slaves that were actually making society work. Their paradigm of work had been all messed up. And I actually think if we were to look in New Zealand today and all throughout the world, we've got some pretty messed up understanding of the, of the purpose and the reason for work. Our paradigm for work is all messed up. You know, maybe it might be because of laziness. Or maybe, you know, the whole thing of, of people who are workaholics or there's exploitation or disrespect. You name it, we've managed to take this wonderful thing of work and mess it up. And God wants to change that view in our mind. And so in Ephesians 6, the paradigm of work that he's talking about here brings us right back to the beginning of time, right back to Genesis when God created the world. This is what we read in Genesis chapter 2. It says this, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Think about that. Right at the beginning of time, what is happening? The creator is working. And then what does he say in verse 15? The Lord God took the man, that's Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? So that he could hang out and relax? No, so he could work it and take care of it. You know, part of the Greek understanding of how the world began is a, one of the stories they have is that there was a time where gods and men lived together in harmony on earth and no one did any work. And the rest of time is trying to get us back to that point. That sounds completely boring to me. It's like that view that some of us have that one day we're going to be in heaven just playing a harp and, you know, and doing this every day for hours. That's not what heaven's about. I believe in heaven that we're going to still be working. Some of us won't be. If you're a doctor, sorry, you'll be out of a job, right? There'll be a few others out of jobs. Lawyers will be out of jobs. That's a good thing. Judges, I studied law, so I can say that. There'll be a whole lot of others out of work. But we will be working. We'll be doing stuff because in work, we actually glorify and worship God. 
So heaven is not about put your feet up and do nothing. I think, man, that sounds not the best time. But God created through work, and then he gave us work to do. He set the whole world in motion through work. Tim Keller has a beautiful way of saying it. He says, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work did not come in after a golden age of leisure. It was part of God's perfect design for human life. Work is as much a basic human need. Listen to this. Work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we lose significant inner loss and emptiness. That's why when you lose your job, isn't it, you can go into such a a deep sense of um, despair or depression. Or when you're looking for a job and you're not able to find one. And it's very understandable because we were made to work. Work didn't enter the world as this idea of Satan to frustrate us. Work entered as a wonderful idea of God. All that Satan has done is, is frustrated that idea, has tried to skew it in our minds. And we need to claim back what is good, need to claim back what is true, need to claim back what God intended for work. And so Ephesians 6 is saying we should work because it is the will of God. We can be part of doing the work of God. You know, Martin Luther, in the time he lived, one of the things he was coming up against was the religious laity, the religious leaders, where it was seen that the only people that were really doing the work of God were those religious people, you know, the the priests and the ministers. They were really the ones doing God's work. And he was saying to them, that is wrong. That is not what Scripture teaches. And one of the ways that he explains it is he says, if you think about the Lord's Prayer, right, where we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. What are we asking there? Give us this day our daily bread. What are we saying? And Martin Luther says, how does God provide that? Well, how does he provide it? How do we get our bread today? Through the farmers, through the millers, through the bakers, the truck drivers, the factory workers, the warehouse attendants, through the person that you go to the supermarket and hand over your cash to the checkout person. All of that is being used. Our whole economic system contributes to that piece of morning toast that you had today. And when you get to the end of the day and you thank God for the food that he has provided, you're right to do so because he has provided it. Not through putting manna on the ground like he did to the Israelites, but he's provided it through all of those people along the supply chain and it comes to you in that bit of toast. And every one of those people are doing the work of God. Every one of those people is doing the will of God. It doesn't matter whether you're the prime minister or the person that cleans his office. It doesn't matter whether you leave your home each morning to go to work or whether you stay at home and raise the children. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're doing it and it's morally right, you can be doing the work of God. You can be doing the will of God. And so every one of us should be able to find meaning in what we do, right? But secondly, we should be able to find meaning in what we do But secondly, it should drive us and remind us to never, never, ever look down on someone else's job. You know, I've been really challenged by this over the last few weeks as I've been thinking this through. And I want you to think about your last week for a minute. And I want you to think about all the different people that you have come in contact with. Whether it is the the checkout person at the supermarket. You know, have you looked them in the eye and said, how are you going today? 
and thank them for what they're doing or you kind of like this, you know, you get out your card, you kind of swipe it or if you've got the pay list, you just pay wave, you know, you don't even want to look at them and just out the... You know, that person's been working for maybe eight hours, right? Have you looked them in the eye and said thanks? What about if you've been at the airport lately and you've gone into the bathrooms there and there's been someone there cleaning the bathrooms? Have you looked at them as just, well, have you even seen them? (laughs) And if you have, have you looked at them as, well, they're just doing the job so that I can enjoy my life? Or have you actually said, hey, thanks? What about the waiter or the waitress this week who served you some food? Have you thanked them for that? Or did they drop some coffee and you were the first one at the table to say, have you never made a mistake in your job? Shouldn't we be the ones as followers of Christ who say, hey, thank you. Hey, can I help you wipe that up? We all have our moments, don't we? But how about this week if we go out with clean, fresh eyes to say, God, let me see all the people along this economic system and cultural system that I live in and help me to thank them and acknowledge them for what they're doing because there is no job that is more important than another. I don't care how much you earn. I don't care what your title is. Every one of us can be doing the work of God. Is one part of the work of God more important than the other part? No. It just happens to be that he's put you where you are. So do it with all your heart. But don't look down on anyone else. And that's the second part, right? Do it with the right heart. Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with what? Sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. This comes up a bit, doesn't it? As if you were serving the Lord, not people. Isn't it interesting that Paul could have just said to us, work hard. You're a Christian now, work hard. But he doesn't. Yeah, work hard, but do it with the right heart. It's not enough to just do the job. You know, the gospel constantly calls us to a higher level, doesn't it? It doesn't say settle for just doing the job, settle for mediocre. It says because of the gospel, because you have been transformed by the love of Jesus Christ, now you should do whatever you do with that same love. You should do whatever you do with with a heart after God. And so he he calls us here to do it respectfully and wholeheartedly. And that word wholeheartedly literally means with joy and with zeal. With joy and with zeal. How are you feeling about tomorrow morning at the moment? Are you looking forward to your job with joy and zeal? Hey, look, we all have bad days, right? Are we the first to admit that? But I believe that God can change the average of our day. to being a day that has joy and zeal, that we can work at whatever we work with wholeheartedly. And that's what God is calling us to, is to this higher level. What are two of the things that Paul says here? The first thing is, he says, effectively, obey your boss. What does that word obey mean? It means to listen attentively. Now, does that mean that you blindly observe every demand of your boss, even when it's morally wrong? No, 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 I don't think it's saying that. But what I think it is saying is this. As a Christian, wouldn't it be great that when your employer makes a decision, even if you're not 100% sure that it was the best one, you're the person that says, I'm going to back you in that. I'm going to follow through with you in that. 
Because, you know, we all know the people at our workplaces over our lives, right, where the boss makes a call and there's always that person who's got a reason why it won't work, always that person that's grumbling, right? You know those people that are like, oh, I'm not going to do this stupid boss, you know, all this kind of stuff. That shouldn't be us, right? I hope that's not us. We should be the ones that are saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to back you. I'm going to back you. And if you think that the, the decision that boss is making is actually the wrong one and there's some valid reasons why you think that, here's a little bit of advice. Don't confront them in front of everyone. You know, I'm the know-all. I know you're about to make a mistake, so I'm going to call you out. Don't do that. Go and find a moment with them. Take them to another room or the opportunity you have where it's just you and them and talk to them about it and say, hey, you know that decision you've made? I'm going to back you but I just want you to know here's some reasons why it may not go the way you think. And here's a suggestion on how else you could do it. You know, I reckon nine out of ten bosses would thank you for that. I've found that in my life. But the reason they'll thank you is because they know that 99 times out of 100, you're actually just going to back them. You're just going to put your head down and you're going to do a good job. And the one time that you don't is because you actually care for them, you care for your business, and you want to help them make the right choice. So to obey is something that as followers of Christ, we should do. Be the one that the boss knows, I can just rely on that person to have my back. And the second thing is respect them. And respect goes both ways, as Paul says here, that masters should should respect their slaves, slaves their masters. Employers should respect their employees, employees should respect, respect their employers. So think about the last week again, right? Think about the kind of lunchroom chatter. How do you talk about your boss? How do you talk about your employees? Are you respecting them in what you say? Are you respecting them in the way you go about your work? How are you doing that? Would you be seen as someone who is different? Now, I'm not saying that if there is something immoral going on or a choice being made that you cannot, as a Christian, agree with, well, then you've got another decision to make, right? And that decision is possibly to leave that workplace. But if your decision is to stay, then you respect them. Because that's what God is calling us to do. That's calling us to a higher standard. Don't just do it and say, oh, I'll do it for you, but I don't really respect you. No, respect them. And then Paul says this, don't just do it when they're watching. Do it because that's who you are when no one's watching. You know, you might say to me, well, James, that's great. You know, it's, uh, it's nice to hear that, but it's hard in the heat of the moment, eh? It's hard. You know, you don't know my workplace. And you're right, I don't. And you might be in a very hard place at the moment. I'm not sure. But look, the fact of the matter is this, right? God has called us to a higher standard. And what I have found is this, is that if you're saying, hey, James, this is a really hard step to take, then I've found there's two things or two questions to ask yourself to make it a little bit easier, or at least to start poking into your heart. There's two questions. The first one is this, what are you working for? And the second one is, who are you working for? What are you working for? And who are you working for? Have you ever met that person? Let me say that this way, actually. We've all met that person who is not happy in their job, right? And in fact, some of us have been in that position in our lives, right? And we just can't stop talking about how bad our job is. I mean, it is the worst profession that we've ever had. I can't believe I've got to go there tomorrow. It's just terrible, 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 right? And you say to them, well, why are you going? Then you say, well, it pays really well. So, okay. Why else are you going? Well, it's an important job. Really? More important than the waiter? Oh, yeah, more important than the waiter. Okay. 
why else are you going? Well, you know, when I got to the end of school, my parents said to me, this was the career I should have because we are a family that goes to university and this is the job you're having. And I don't know, but there's a lot of people that I meet who are working today and they're hating their jobs. And I think the reason they're hating their jobs is because they're not actually working just for the love and the zeal of the job they're doing. They're working for a whole lot of motivations behind that job. It's like they're working for the work behind the work. And that is exhausting. Because if you're turning up every day, hating what you're doing, but doing it because my parents said this was a good idea or because this is an important job or whatever it might be, man, you're never going to be happy. Now, I know there are times in life where we just have to dig deep and do the job we've got, right? I understand that. But I'm talking more about those of us today who are actually in positions that we know are not right for us. But for one reason or another, we're there because we're working for something behind the work. There's a deeper motivation that we're working for. And as long as you work for that motivation, you are going to be just so conflicted in your life. It is going to be so hard to work with zeal and joy if that's you. So what's the answer? How can you break out of that? Well, by asking yourself the second question, who are you really working for? Who are you really working for? Verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. You know the secret to real joy and zeal in your job? Is to not work for the work behind the work, but to work for the boss behind your boss. The boss behind your boss. Who is your real boss today as followers of Christ? Paul says, it's God. It's Christ. He is our real boss. And if you can see the boss behind the boss and live for him and work for him, it does change everything. You say, how? How does it change everything, James? Well, remember when Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee and there were so many people flocking around him that he said to these fishermen, Peter was one of them and James and John were there and others. He says to Peter, can I go out on your boat? And he goes out in his boat and he talks and he ministers to the crowd. And at the end of the day, he comes in again. They bring him in and he says to the guys, he says to Peter and the others who were going to become his disciples, he says, push the boat out again and go fish. And they're like, Lord, We've tried this, didn't work very well, but because you say so, we'll go. They take the boats out and they start fishing. And what happens? They have the biggest haul of their lives. I mean, they have caught so much fish that Peter's calling over the other boats. And the other boats are coming. And there is so many fish that now their boats are starting to sink. And at the height of financial success for these guys, these guys who had always been known as fishermen, you know, that's Peter the fisherman, The creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, comes to them and says, now I want you to leave all of that behind, and I want you to come and follow me, and I'm going to make you real fishermen. You're going to now fish for men. And what happens? The Bible says they left it all behind and followed Jesus. How is it that a few ordinary guys who were fishermen by their identity in this world could leave everything behind at the height of their financial success and follow this man, Jesus? How could they do it? Well, the reason they could do it is because they realized that he was their ultimate master. He was their ultimate boss. They suddenly realized that they were no longer, it wasn't as important just the job they were doing. The job they were doing didn't give them their identity. It didn't matter how much money they had just earned through this this incredible haul of fish. They had now met the true master. 
And because they had now met the true master, they were free to do whatever it took to follow him. They left it all behind. You see, when you meet the true master, it is so liberating. It is so freeing. It might mean for you today that for some of you, you can actually be happy to leave your current job and take a lower paying job or a job with less worldly status because now you don't care about that because you know that actually, God, you're calling me to this and you're my ultimate master, my ultimate boss, so I'm going to leave and I'm going to take a new job. For others of you that, you know, maybe you've been struggling to find work lately and maybe for you, you've seen some jobs that you could take, but you're like, well, that's, a, that's not, you know, that's a bit lower than my experience. You know, I don't know if I can take that. But what if God has opened that door for you? And as your master, as your boss, he's saying, you've been asking for a job. Here it is. Yeah, it's not the same as you did, but I don't actually care what you do. I care about the heart you do it with. I care about the fact of whether you're going to serve me. For some of us, The fact that God is our ultimate boss allows us to work harder and to throw off that lazy spirit because God is a boss that always deserves a good day's work, right? And there's others of us today who are workaholics. Let's just call it out. You're a workaholic. And knowing that your ultimate boss is God frees you from having to be a workaholic because you don't have to work to generate your identity and to be seen as important It's not about that. You can now work just for the joy of it. Wow. Do you know that freedom? You can't will that power of freedom over your life. You can't just say, I'm going to be free. 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 Something needs to change. I reckon what it comes back to is this. It comes back to realizing that the creator of the universe our ultimate master, he became a slave. Do you realize that? In Philippians 2, we read this, and Simon actually read it before. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, the ultimate master, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't say he had to stay at a certain level in life. Rather, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant. The word there is slave, doulos. He took on that nature of a slave for us. If God can lower down to that level, if Jesus can say, not my will, but yours be done, Father, surely we can say, not our will, but our master's will be done. Surely we can do whatever it takes because when we are willing to do that, we find out what it really means to be liberated. Jesus entered our world not as a conquering king like the Romans expected and the the Jewish people were looking for. He entered as a suffering servant, as a slave, and he died on a cross and he didn't utter one word in his defense and then he rose again. And now in Ephesians 6, what are we called? It's really interesting. Paul calls us slaves of Christ. The master becomes a slave, dies in our place and rises again. And now we are called slaves of Christ. If we are a slave of Christ, who is our master? It is Jesus. 
You might say, well, James, to be called a slave, I know you talked about it at the beginning, but that still doesn't seem that freeing to me, doesn't seem that powerful here. But do you understand what it means to be a slave of Christ? Because what does the Bible say happens to those who are slaves of Christ? The first thing is this, Jesus calls you his friend. The second thing is this, Jesus calls you his brother or his sister. Imagine that. You're the slave of the household, and you're now being called the brother or sister of the master. And the third thing, get this one, the third thing. He doesn't just keep you as a brother or sister. He elevates you to that position where you are a joint heir with him. And all the inheritance of eternity can be yours. Doesn't matter what job you do. Doesn't matter if you're the doctor, if you're the lawyer, if you're the teacher, if you're the student, if you're the stay-at-home mum or dad. It doesn't matter about that. It matters about who your master is. And when you know who your master is, it changes the way that you work. And so our identity doesn't have to be in our work. It's in Christ. And we work with all zeal and joy for him. And that is a new paradigm for work, isn't it? Have you, ever made, have you ever made Jesus your master? Or are you still working for something behind your job? Are you still working just for your earthly boss? Or are you truly working for the eternal master, Jesus Christ? Because if you're working for anyone else or anything else, your motivations will never satisfy you. But this morning, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why don't we pray for a moment? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you offer us rest. And Lord, that doesn't mean laziness. That means a state of knowing that our identity is in you and so we can then work with all zeal and joy and with your power working so powerfully within us. God, I want to pray that this week you would help us to see all of the people around us who are doing your work, that you would help us to acknowledge them, to love them, to show them your love, and I pray also, Lord, for every one of us, wherever we are this week, Lord God, help us to understand that we're doing your work and do it with all zeal and with all joy. This morning, let me just ask you a question while your eyes are closed. If you've never come to a point in your life where you have made Jesus your master, your ultimate boss of your life, and today you would say, hey, James, I want to do that. I want to ask Jesus to become the leader of my life. I'd love to meet you after the service, and I'd love to just pray for you right now. So if that's you and you're just saying, James, I'm one of those people that's working for all these other reasons and I'm never satisfied and I want to know this Jesus, would you just raise your hand quickly just so I can pray for you, just so I can see it. Is that you this morning just saying, James, would you pray for me? Anyone here today? Okay. And then I just want to pray right now for a bunch of other people. And those of you here that there might be a whole range of reasons. It might be that you're looking for work at the moment. Or it might be that you're in a job but you really are struggling with it. And you're not sure if it's where God wants you to be. 
It might simply be that just this week, you know you've got some massive stuff coming up and you really need God's blessing on your life for that. So if, that, if, if there's any of those or anything else about work and you just want me to pray for you this morning and you want to just stand and acknowledge your need of God, just do that now. Just stand and I'm just going to pray for you and then we're going to finish our morning today. I want you to stand for a second. Awesome. Lord, I love the fact that you're our boss (laughs) because, God, you're the only boss that is perfect. Lord, I've got people that work for me and I'm not perfect. And I know that everyone standing here is either a boss or has earthly bosses. None of us are perfect, God, but you are. And we just want to thank you that we get to work for the perfect boss and that, Lord, our identity isn't in our work, it's in you. And so, God, right now I pray for every person standing, whatever the situation is, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would meet their need, that you would give them the strength this week to make godly decisions, that you would help them this week to serve you and no one else, Lord, in the sense that you would be number one, and that they would look out as well throughout this week for those who need to know your love and your touch as we do the work of God in our world. So, Lord, we love you, we bless you, and we ask that you would bless us as we go out into the city this week. In Jesus' name, amen.